Hello, golfers. The golfer's here. Now live on WWLS, the sports animal, this is the 73rd hole with Sam Humphreys. I'm Tiger Woods. I'm Tiger Woods. Sam. Oklahoma's premier golf show, giving you insider access and interviews to golf in the state of Oklahoma and on the PGA Tour. Good shot. It's the 73rd hole. I love (laughs) y'all. On 98.1 FM, WWLS, the sports animal. What is good, everybody? Welcome into the 73rd Hole Radio Show live on the Sports Animal. Sam Humphreys, Taylor Williams, Preston Poole with you until noon as we do every single Sunday. And this Sunday is going to be a little different for obvious reasons. We have the Open Championship going on live right now. So we will try to keep you updated on that throughout the day. We'll be talking about that throughout the day. We'll also talk a little bit of Ryder Cup. Uh, looking forward to life after the four major championships in 2023. But let me bring in my co-host, Taylor Williams. Taylor, Brian Harmon, 12 under par right now. He got off to a little bit uh, of a rocky start this morning. He bogeyed number two, bogeyed number five, but then got birdies on uh, six and seven. He birdied the par three, six, hit it in there about 15 feet, and then birdie seven just now. John Rahm is one under on the day. All pars with a birdie on the par five fifth. What have been your overall thoughts of the action this morning? It is a monsoon, not necessarily a monsoon out there, but basically just a steady rainfall all morning, right? Been some pretty good open championship weather is, is what we want to see. We don't want to see bright skies and no wind at a British Open, there's no doubt about that. And Brian Harmon, as you alluded to, got off to a little bit of a rocky start, very similar to what he did yesterday. Yesterday he bogeys holes one and four, and today he uh, he bogeys two of his first five holes as well, bogeying two and five, but then makes two great birdies on six and seven to get his lead back up to five. There's a huge difference between going into this back nine with three-shot lead and a five-shot lead. So if he's going to be able to hold on to this, I, I think that he's going to be pretty solid. And it also shows for all the Brian Harmon fans out there that – He's able to get off to these rough starts and able to come back, make some good birdies even before the end of the front nine. So that's very encouraging, and I think that he's starting to steady the ship a little bit. Obviously, the weather and the emotions of just trying to win your first open could come into play. There's an abundance of golf to still be played, but Brian Harmon looks like he's steadied the ship a decent amount. I think that the key to him winning this golf tournament, if he does go on to win, is going to be him getting that bogey at number five after hitting it into the gorse bush. He had to take an unplayable this morning, went back about 20 yards short of the gorse bushes on the left side of number five, par five, and he hits a nice fairway wood up there in front of the green, had a chance to save par, ends up making bogey, but it just seemed like after he hit that fairway wood up short of the green, um, it seemed like it kind of calmed his nerves a little bit. And then he goes to the uh, part three, number six, and then hits it in there about 15 feet and rolls that in on number five. It was actually uh, T dub the first putt inside 10 feet that he missed all week. I think right before the round, he was 44 for 44 inside 10 feet. And I think he's only missed one inside 10 feet today. Yeah. For the first three rounds, he's averaged more than three shots gained on the green. So his putters have just been, absolutely electric as it really has been over the course of his last three or four tournaments that he's played around the world. So yeah, Brian Harmon, he's got a very solid, he's in a, in a very good situation right now because being at 12 under, 
if he just goes out and makes par, someone's going to have to go out and catch him, and that's going to be a pretty hard thing to do. John Rahm had, had a nice little birdie look on his last hole, and it barely just missed on the left side, kind of hung on the lip. So if anyone could make a run at him, it is one of the best players in the world, John Rahm, right behind him. There's a, there's a parental of guys there at six under as well, and also a few guys at five under, but guys like Home and Rory seem to be running out of holes to be able to make any moves. So, yeah, Brian Harmon definitely has – seems like he has his destiny in his own hands. Unless John Rahm has a back nine like he did yesterday where he was seven under on his last ten holes, that would definitely make things harder for Brian Harmon. But with these conditions, it's going to be very hard to see that happen. And the finish today is going to be a lot easier than it was the first couple of days. It's not quite as windy as it was the first couple of days, T-Dub, and I think that – especially with the wet conditions that actually helps you on a hole like 17 where you have to land it in that small proximity. It's not going to take a big bounce today. It's pretty much just going to, you know, finish up where you land the ball on that 136 yard 17th hole. And so I need to knock on wood for Brian Harmon, but it seems like the 17th is going to play a lot easier. The 18th, obviously, we've talked about how Brian Harmon won't have the wind whipping off his back. There's not much wind today anyways. But, if I mean, if he goes into 18 with a three-shot lead, he's just going to blast it a million yards left and end up laying up on the par 5 18th. And so I really think if if he pars really the next five holes or so, uh, this tournament's over, even if John Rahm makes a couple of birdies, because I don't see any danger lurking at the finish that was that was lurking earlier on this week. I'm getting very similar vibes to what we had in 2019 with Shane Lowry run. Him and him and Tommy Fleetwood were battling it out throughout most of the day, and it looked like Fleetwood was going to make a little bit of a run, but by the time you get done, and look at the final scorecard, Lowry won by five or six shots that year, and I think it's going to be a very similar situation here. I just feel like Harmon's too rock solid. He does have some difficult holes coming up, a uh, number 10 has played the hardest hole today. So that was a hole that Rory bogeyed as well when he was making a little bit of a run. So that's going to be something to look out for. 14 has played one of, as one of the hardest holes all week. But then you also have a hole like 15, which is playing almost half a shot under par. So there's going to be some volatility coming down the stretch. But I, I feel like for anyone to be able to catch Harmon, Harmon's either going to have to have a blow-up hole or he's going to have to just make no birdies and bogey the hard holes while someone like Rom or, or one of the guys at six under goes out and makes a bunch of birdies. And, and you are right. The wind is starting to die down a little bit. It was four, pretty much steady at about 12 to 13 miles an hour early in the day. It's down to about six or seven currently. It does actually say in the forecast that towards about six or seven o'clock their time, the wind may pick up again, which is something you usually don't see over here, but can be common over there. But one thing that is to your point though, Sam, these players would rather play in wind and no rain versus wind and uh They'd rather play in rain and no wind versus uh, wind and rain or the, the uh, offset of those. So it's uh, rain right is now, a lot easier than easier wind situation. is what you're trying to get to, right? <laughs> yes, a hundred percent. Yeah. Words are getting a little bit twisted there, but yeah, it's a hundred percent the case. And uh, like I said, there's still a lot of golf to be played, but Brian Harmon definitely has the, the deck of cards in his hand for sure. Let's talk about Rory McIlroy, who is making uh, some fireworks this morning. He birdies three, four and five in his round this morning to go three under through his first five holes. He missed birdie opportunities at seven. He missed another birdie opportunity at nine. Um, and then he bogeys number 10. I thought that if he would have made that birdie putt, it was about a 10 footer right to left breaker on number nine. He could have maybe put some pressure on the guys up at the top. 
Um, but then he bogeys number 10, and now he's parred 11, 12, and 13. Rory McIlroy, five under for the tournament, tied for eighth place. It's interesting. Have you heard this story before, T-Dub, that Rory waits until the last day when he's too far. He's dug himself too big of a hole, and then he starts making putts. Rory, on the week before the final round, he was first off the tee in strokes gained, fifth in approach, and 112th in putting this week and so then he starts making putts on Sunday but tell me where you've heard this before where Rory backdoors a top 10 or a top 5 in a major on Sunday where he's not really in contention. It seems like clockwork in all honesty up until this point he, he did hit a very nice solid shot into 14 as I mentioned earlier playing as one of the hardest souls but he's going to have about a 15 foot birdie so if he can make that and then potentially go into uh, number 15 the par 5 and, and maybe make some magic there happening he can definitely vault up this leaderboard but once again it may a five under and if he does make this putt and birdie's 15 he's still only a seven under with three holes left to play it's just going to be hard to catch someone who's up there at 12 under so as we keep saying it's a it's a front runner race at this point you look at the analytics brian Harmon currently has an 83.8 percent chance to win which seems about right i would think that that's it's going to take something pretty drastically to happen for him not to win this tournament whether it be him falling back or someone else coming to catch him but as for rory yeah, it's just the same thing in all majors, and really the back nine has been his kryptonite this week. He's been seven under on the front nine of holes, but on the back nine, he's been uh, he's played them two over as of this week. So maybe he could steady start getting it a little bit better these last few holes. But I do think if, for him potentially winning this tournament, he was my one and done pick. So it'd be good to see him get up maybe a, a top three, or if he could somehow finish solo second, it would be by far best case scenario. But I think for him winning the tournament, it's too little, too late for Rory. Let's talk about the guy that I picked before the week, T-Dub. That's John Rahm, and I can update you that John Rahm has just bogeyed the ninth hole. He hit it left of the green over the pot bunker on the left side, hit his chip shot up to about four feet, two inches, uh, and made bogey. Um, T-Dub, John Rahm, it's an interesting week for him because... When I look at his stats on the week, he's not doing anything terrible. He's really putting himself in position to win another major championship, but he got off to such a slow start, and only one player after 36 holes has been 12 shots back and won a major championship, and that was George Duncan back in 1920. So it would have been a historic win if John Rahm were to come back and win this afternoon. It's looking less and less likely hole by hole here. He, he's got to go off on these last nine holes to catch Brian Harmon. Um, but he dug himself a little bit too big of a hole. Um, but if it weren't for Brian Harmon out there, 12 under par, he'd be right in the mix of this golf tournament. Well, if it weren't for Brian Harmon, we'd have one of the best majors that we've had in quite some time, because this is jam-packed there from second down to really about 15th place. There's only three shots that separate being T 11th and being a solo second or tied second, I guess, at this point since Ron bogeyed. So it's, uh, yeah, there's, and you look at Ron in particular, right? That The way that he played yesterday really vaulted him up. He only made the cut. The cut was three over. He was two over at the first two days. So you're thinking, okay, well, he'll just come out and, you know, shoot a couple around even for two days, make him a, a solid check, finish somewhere down around 40th. But no, he comes out and uh, birdies seven out of his last 10 holes to shoot an eight, and he was one under through his first eight. So he shot an eight under 63 bogey free, which is absolutely exceptional. The course played by far the easiest yesterday as it has all week, playing about half a shot under par. For comparison today, it's playing 
about 1.75 shots over par. The, the rain has definitely uh, made that a little bit harder. But, yeah, Rom definitely vaulted himself into contention yesterday, and he had played very solid up until this point. It was one under through eight again, but then, as you mentioned, bogeyed number nines kind of set him back just a little bit. But the, the immense talent in the world, a very solid pick going into the week, Sam. And uh, we're, we're, he's going to have to have another back nine like he did yesterday for him to win this tournament, unless Brian Harmon shoots a 42 or 43 on the back nine. All right, I can update you on a couple more things. Rory McIlroy has just birdied the 14th hole, so now Rory is in a tide for third place. Uh, the guy in solo second place right now, Sepp Straka, the Austrian, who is also a Georgia Bulldog where he played his college golf. He started the day with a bogey at one, but then gets birdies at three, five, nine, and 11. So now he is in solo second place at the Open Championship at seven under par. Uh, obviously, Harmon in the lead at 12 under par. What are your thoughts on the big Austrian who won at the John Deere Classic a few weeks ago? Well, he's definitely played himself onto the Ryder Cup team. I don't think there's any doubt about it. And could be. If he's playing like this, is going to be a force to be reckoned with over in Rome. There's no doubt about it so yeah no he's he's definitely playing golf at the right time which is something we talk about all the time for those Ryder Cup teams it's not necessarily like with the point system for example they kind of weight weight it more towards the end so it helps but at the end of the day it doesn't really matter how someone played six months ago when you lead up into this when you're talking about the 12 best players from either USA or Europe you need those guys in rare form like they have been and Seb Strzok as you mentioned was on 59 watch at John Deere made a, a nice double bogey in the last hole to make sure that didn't happen was still able to win the tournament and then currently still the second right now so really no matter how he finishes coming up this week he's going to be a pick on that Ryder Cup team and it's a good thing to see too because he seems to be a nice likable guy uh like as you mentioned played his college golf at Georgia he won the Honda Classic last year as well going down the stretch with Shane Lowry and some other guys so yeah he's definitely a proven winner on the PJ Tour and uh as for the Americans you don't look at someone as Seb Strzok and say oh I'm necessarily worried about him but he's one of those players to where you get into like for example an alternate shot format and he's just going to uh be a steady ship out there, or even a best ball. He's going to throw out three or four birdies on some of the harder holes out there. So definitely, uh, we as Americans, we'd like to see the Europeans struggling down those top four spots, but it seems like as time goes on, they're definitely getting those last three or four spots solidified. Sepp Straka won on the PGA Tour at the John Deere earlier this year. Emiliano Grillo also won on the PGA Tour earlier on this year at the Charles Schwab Challenge down at Colonial he is tied for third place at six under par, three under on his round. He got birdies at 5, 10, 11, and 14. He did have a bogey back at the par three sixth. But Emiliano Grillo is one of those guys that was a young guy, Argentinian. He was kind of a can't-miss guy coming out, uh, but then it's taken him some time to get his feet under him. But he's 41st in the official world golf ranking. That's including, obviously, the win at Colonial. So he had dropped way down in the world rankings. Uh, Data Golf has him as the 57th best player in the world analytically but he's kind of finding form this year. Uh, maybe some good things to kind of piggyback on headed into 2024 T-Dub with Emiliano Grillo. It seems like he's finally playing some elite golf, at least at times, right? Yes, he is. And this is a good sign because he had missed the cut in the last three majors that he had played in. He's at the point now to where, for example, he's 28th on the FedEx Cup. So it's going to be highly important for him if he can get into the top 30 for the FedEx Cup. He's currently 41st in the OWGR, which being in the top 50 gives you a lot of exemptions as well. So right now he's sitting very pretty there if he just is able to stay steady and keep a little bit of form that he has. But he needs to start having some high performances 
in the majors, and he currently is doing that now. If he could have a big week here and, and be able to hold on to it for his last four holes, it's going to be really good. And through the first three rounds, he had been hitting the ball really well, gaining more than a, a shot approach and gaining about .7 shots on the green. So hitting his irons well and putting very well as well. So it's uh, he, he's definitely, like you said, trending in the right direction, having a high finish here will move his 28th on the FedEx Cup even higher. And if he could guarantee him spot into – or guarantee himself a spot at Eastlake coming up in the next couple of months, he's going to uh, – that's really going to be – even though he does have his win, as you mentioned, at Colonial, that gives him a two-year exemption on the PGA Tour. But being able to get in that FedEx Cup is going to be able to get you into essentially any event that you want to. So let me give you one more update on this leaderboard. You have Brian Harmon, the Georgia Bulldog from Savannah, Georgia, one of the greatest junior players of all time. He is in the lead of the Open Championship right now at 12 under par – through his first nine holes. You have Sepp Straka in solo second place at seven under par through 11 holes of his round. He's two under on the round. Then you have a big giant tied for third. And I think a lot of people will be keeping an eye on this. If you gambled on it, you might have a top five bet uh, with some of these guys. You have Emiliano Grillo. You have Rory McIlroy, Tom Kim, Tommy Fleetwood, Jason Day, John Rahm and Cam Young all tied for third. It's going to be interesting to see how all of this shakes out. I want to tell everybody to go ahead and go follow us on social media at the 73rd hole on Twitter and at 73rd hole on Instagram. I am at Sam Humphreys 34 as well. We give you great golf content, whether it be major championship weeks. Uh, you know, we've done awesome stuff, whether it be Liv Tulsa or Jimmy Austin, the Corn Ferry event earlier on this year. And we have the Ryder Cup coming up later on in the year in September. So you definitely want to stay tuned to all of our content on social media. And you can also follow the 73rd Hole podcast on Apple or you can subscribe on Spotify. And it's absolutely free and it just helps us out. And it will give you a notification whenever we drop a new episode like we'll drop after the Open Championship Today, uh, T-Dub, we are going to get into some Ryder Cup discussions as we watch Brian Harmon take on this back nine at the Open Championship. Obviously, we'll keep you updated on the Open Championship throughout these discussions, um, but it's going to be a very interesting pick for Zach Johnson now. After some of these guys played bad, some of these guys like Brian Harmon have possibly secured a spot on the U.S. team. We need to hit a break here on the 73rd Hole Radio Show. Sam Humphreys, Taylor Williams, Preston Poole with you till noon on Oklahoma's Leader in Golf, the Sports Animal. And we're back here on the 73rd Hole Radio Show live on the Sports Animal. Sam Humphreys, Taylor Williams, Preston Poole with you until noon. And we are talking about the Open Championship, keeping you guys updated on this leaderboard. Brian Harmon with a five-shot lead right now. You have Brian Harmon at 12 under par through nine holes. You have Sepp Straka at seven under par, Emiliano Grillo, Rory McIlroy, Tom Kim, Tommy Fleetwood, Jason Day, and John Rahm all tied for third at six under par. The big story if Brian Harmon were to go on and win, really it's going to be a big story either way, T-Dub, is going to be the Ryder Cup coming up late in September. And 
Let's just talk about Brian Harmon first because headed into this week, he was 20th in the U.S. Ryder Cup standings points list. And if he were to win, I mean, he's either going to be locked in in that top six or get a pick, depending on how all of this shakes out with some of these guys points-wise on the bubble. I don't have the specific numbers on this, but Brian Harmon is going to be on the U.S. team if he wins this Open Championship. Your top six that are locked in for the U.S. Ryder Cup team are Scotty Scheffler, Wyndham Clark, Brooks Kepka, Xander Shoffley, Patrick Cantlay, and Max Homa. Um Keegan Bradley missed the cut this week. He's in seventh. You have Jordan Spieth in eighth. He finished, I, I think he's done with this round. He finished around 20th, or he's in 20th right now after he finished play today. Colin Morikawa missed the cut at the Open Championship. He's in ninth place on these U.S. Ryder Cup standings. Cam Young is the one guy other than Brian Harmon on this U.S. team that really made a splash this week. Cam Young is five under on his round. He just made five under on the tournament. Uh, Cam Young just made a bogey at number nine. He's two over on his round in the final round of the Open Championship solo ninth place. Um, Sam Burns missed the cut. Uh, Ricky Fowler. Uh, where is Ricky right now, T-Dub? Do you know where he's at? Well, Ricky was off a really good start earlier in the week, and he uh... – he actually made – he was two under in the first round, and he hit it out of bounds twice in the first round to, <laughs> That's to right. get him back. But currently he is one over par um, playing the 18th hole, which sits him at T33. That's exactly right. Tied for 33rd, Justin Thomas missed the cut. Denny McCarthy missed the cut. Uh, Tony Finau missed the cut. Taylor Gooch missed the cut. Um, you know, Dustin Johnson missed the cut. A, a lot of the guys right on the bubble that were hoping to get U.S. Ryder Cup picks from Zach Johnson, who, oh, by the way, uh, he made the cut. <laughs> the captain of the U.S. team ends up making the cut at the Open Championship. But a lot of the guys on the bubble played like crap this week. Cam Young and Brian Harmon made the biggest uh, made the most of that opportunity where the door was open from all these guys on the bubble missing the cut at their last major championship to show Zach Johnson what they have. Um, T-Dub, it's going to be extremely interesting. Kind of just take all that that I just said and run with it because I don't even know where to start. Brian Harmon's going to be on the team, uh, and it looks like Cam Young will be as well. Yeah, we talked about this in the in the podcast leading up to this, that after this tournament, we're going to have a lot clearer picture on what's going to happen in the U.S. Ryder Cup team. And I think we're almost there. We obviously have the FedEx Cup playoffs left to go, so maybe someone could come up and potentially bump out some other player. But I think if Sam Burns – or, I'm sorry, if uh, Brian Harmon leads up and ends up winning this Open Championship, I think that it's going to propel him automatically into the top six. Wyndham Clark moved up so highly whenever he won the U.S. Open that I think that the British Open will do the same uh, for Brian Harmon. So he would be a catcher's pick, which then, if the points say the same, would bump Max Homa, who's in sixth down the seventh, but I don't see a realm where Max Home is not a captain's pick there. So then you're looking at guys like Keegan Bradley, Jordan Spieth, Colin Morikawa. I feel like those three are still I, – I don't see how they're not going to be picked. Unless they just miss every cut going forward and someone else does what Brian Harmon's done and moved up. Then from there, then you got to look at Ricky, who's currently in 12th. And then, obviously, um, who's the last one I'm thinking of? Let's see, Key, oh, uh, Cam Young. Cam Young, who's playing well, who's currently in 10th. But if he has a high finish, it's going to bump him up into – it could actually bump him up into the top six as well if he finishes potentially solo second 
or somewhere around there. But if he makes some bogeys coming down the stretch, it may move him down as well. But he played good well. He finished top 10 at the John Deere Classic a couple weeks ago. So he's having a little bit of solid form coming in. So I think that those 12, Sam, it's going to be really hard for me to see a world. Like I said, maybe maybe a Denny McCarthy or someone goes out and wins two playoff events or something like that. And then or Tony Finau wins at the 3M and then finishes top five in a playoff. Maybe that would change some things. But at least right now, there's a lot clearer picture on the 12, which should be um, for Rome. And like I said, it's it's going to take someone playing really good golf uh, to change that, that top 12 currently. Yeah, a couple weeks ago, we were talking about five to six guys possibly being in the discussion for a Ryder Cup pick. Now it's five to six guys, but all for one spot, right? And so I think the team's going to be Scotty Scheffler, Wyndham Clark, Brooks Kepka, Xander, Cantlay, Homa, Harmon, and then you have Keegan Bradley, Jordan Spieth, Colin Morikawa, Cam Young, and then I think Ricky Fowler is a lock too. So to me, that's probably your team right there. And Sam Burns, Justin Thomas, Tony Finau, Dustin Johnson, Taylor Gooch, all those guys are going to get left off the team to me. I, I would pick Ricky Fowler with that last pick. Uh, considering how well Kim Young played, he's probably going to be on the team uh, here after this Open Championship. Now, we'll see, like you said, how these playoff events shake out, but I would much rather have Ricky Fowler on the team than Justin Thomas, who has only gained shots on the greens in two tournaments since the Arnold Palmer Invitational. Think about how long ago the API was T-Dub. Justin Thomas has only gained shots on the greens twice since then, and there's been a bunch of disappointing tournaments in that stretch. I, I truly say I don't even I don't even know how people can even consider putting Justin Thomas on the team right now. It's an absolute joke to me. I, like he missed the cut by an abundantly amount of strokes coming this week, and now finally everyone's saying, okay, well maybe we can't pick. I've been saying it for a month now. I could go through here. I could probably make a USA B team with 12 more players and still not put Justin Thomas on it. That is how <laughs> bad he's playing. If Zach Johnson finds some way to put Justin Thomas on this team, I literally don't know what I'll do because there are so many other Americans who are playing better and more deserving than JT right now. It's honestly not even funny. But what you are saying earlier, I think Ricky, Ricky's a shoe-in pick. I think he's got to be there. And then also, too, one thing we got to consider is, is that this is the, usually they only have four captains picks. Usually it's top eight in points. And actually, even before that, it used to be top 10, and then only two captains picks from there. So it's getting more and more captains picks going forward. If you finish seventh or eighth in the points and you don't get picked, there better be a very highly good reason as to why you didn't. And that would have had to be maybe you were in top three or four forever, and then you just came out and you haven't been playing very good golf since then. But all the guys up there, seven through 10, have been playing solid or at least have some shining light over the last four or five months in particular. So it's, it's one of those things to where you got to look at if you're finished seventh or eighth on the points like Keegan and Jordan Spieth are, I don't see a world that one of those players doesn't get picked just because they, they essentially aren't what will be viewed as they earned it in, in that sense. So then you have to look down at guys who are more Cowboys ninth. I think he'll be picked. Cam Young's 10th, but he's going to move up if he keeps playing good. Something like Sam Burns at 11th, that's, that's where the line cuts off at. That's where, okay – well, there, there might be someone like Ricky at 12. Ricky at 12 has been playing a lot better than Sam Burns has over the last two or three months. And don't forget so about Harmon, who's going to be a lock as well, probably. And Harmon's down at 20. It's going to move up as well. So, yeah, it's right now it seems very solidified. There could be some more wrenches thrown into it. Maybe, like I said, Tony Finau wins the, the 3M. He's the defending champion there. And then maybe wins a playoff event or something like that. But one thing that's for sure, though, Sam, we have been pretty high advocates on, on uh, Dustin Johnson and our man Taylor Gooch 
making the Ryder Cup team. But unfortunately, with them both missing the cut this week, Zach Johnson's not going to be looking at the uh, – I believe there's two live events left before they make the uh, the pick standing. So, Dustin Johnson's not – or uh, Zach Johnson isn't going to look at those, even if Dustin, DJ, or our man TG wins back-to-back live events. I don't think they're going to be picked. So, unfortunately, I think we can go ahead and say that's a shoe-in deal, that Brooks Kepka will be the only live golfer, um, at least for the Americans, on, on their team. Yeah, like, for instance, do I think that Taylor Gooch is a better player than Cam Young right now? Probably. I mean, Taylor Gooch has won three times around the world more than any other American this year. But unfortunately for Taylor, he didn't show up in the major championships. Well, he literally didn't show up to the U.S. Open. That's not his fault. Um, But he did miss the cut at the PGA Championship, tied for 34th at the Masters, and missed the cut at the Open Championship. He needed to make a big statement this week and beat some of these other guys on the bubble, and he had a great opportunity to do it with all the guys, like you said, with Colin Morikawa and DJ and JT and Sam Burns all missing the cut. The guy that made the big statement was Cam Young, not our man Taylor Gooch, and unfortunately, when we're looking at one spot, which is probably going to go to either JT, Ricky Fowler, Sam Burns, uh, Cam Young, like he's just not going to get that pick considering how he played in the major championships. He's our boy, but I just got to call it how it is. Yeah. Him not getting the U S open really, really hurt his chances. Cause if he could have, would have been able to play good there, then that would have uh, obviously heightened the, the like that he would. And it also would have gave him some more points, right? Because live events don't get Ryder cup points. So if, if he's played in any event that does award those points, it's going to help him out as well. But once again, yeah, I think that it's, we listed off those 12 guys, the, uh, the the automatic sixth and Keegan, Jordan Spieth, Morikawa, Cam Young, Brian Harmon. And then I think it has to be Ricky. I, I don't think you could put any of those other guys ahead of him. And you want to throw out, I, I think Ricky's probably, I'd rather have Ricky than Keegan on the team. I'd rather have Ricky than Jordan Spieth. Totally and agree. Probably, probably more than Colin Morikawa right now, too, as crazy as that is to say. So, yeah, I think we're looking at Ricky. I think Ricky is probably a bigger shoe-in than almost anyone to be picked. Give you guys a little bit of an update here on this Open Championship leaderboard. Brian Harmon still has a five-shot lead. He parred number 10. He's still 12 under par for the tournament, even par on his round today. Sepp Straka is solo second at seven under par. He's two under on his round. He just made a solid par at number 13. Um, Emiliano Grillo, Rory McIlroy, Tom Kim, Tommy Fleetwood, Jason Day, John Rahm, all tied for third place. Cam Young, solo, ninth place. Um, By the way, all those guys tied for third place at six under par. Cam Young at five under par. Uh, And then tied for 10th place, you have Max Homa, Shabakar Sharma, uh, Antoine Rosner, my UMKC kangaroo. Uh, He is having a tough day, one over par through 11 holes on his round, uh, the European Ryder Cup original captain, Henrik Stenson, is tied for 13th. He's two under on his round today, three under for the golf tournament. Solid showing from Henrik Stenson. We need to probably hit a break here, T-Dub, and then after the break, let's get into the European Ryder Cup team and their standings because it's a lot more solidified and some better names that are locked in for the Europeans than have been all year uh, on the European side. So let's go ahead and hit a break. Like I said, Harmon still has a five shot lead through 10 holes of the final round of the open championship. We'll keep you updated on that and talk European Ryder cup side 
on the other side of the break here on the 73rd Hole Radio Show, live on the Sports Animals, Sam Humphreys, Taylor Williams, Preston Poole with you until noon on Oklahoma's Leader in Golf. And we're back here on the 73rd Hole Radio Show, Sam Humphreys, Taylor Williams, Preston Poole, with you until noon, the leaderboard at the Open Championship looks the same as it was before the break. Brian Harmon, five-shot lead through ten holes of the final round of the Open Championship. He's even par on his round through ten holes. Twelve under for the tournament. Sepp Straka solo second place at seven under par. Sepp Straka is two under par through 13 holes. Then you have a slew of guys Tied for third at six under par. Grillo, McElroy, Kim, Fleetwood, Day, and Rom all tied at six under par. We'll keep you updated on that. Speaking of guys like McElroy and Rom, T Dub, we need to talk about the European side. We've talked a lot about the American side of the Ryder Cup, but let's talk about the European standings and obviously the European team uses two different point systems combined together to create their European team let's talk about the European points first Um, the European points obviously based off of the DP World Tour uh, Rory McIlroy John Rahm and Robert McIntyre are your three that are locked in for the European points. And Yannick Paul was locked in in that third spot for a long time. He got bumped out when Bobby Mack finished second in the Scottish Open last week uh, to Rory McIlroy. And so then other guys, Adrian Moronk, he was playing some solid golf this week. Rasmus Hoygaard, uh, you got Victor Perez, Tommy Fleetwood, all on that European points list as well. And then when I go to the world points list, you have John Rahm and Rory McIlroy in the top two spots, but those guys don't count toward the world points because they're already locked in on the European points list. So that means that the three guys that are locked in before the open championship for the Europeans are Victor Hovland, Tyrrell Hatton and Matthew Fitzpatrick. Now, a lot of these other guys are definitely going to get Ryder cup picks, um, like a Tommy Fleetwood in sixth, Shane Lowry, Sepp Straka after the week he's having this week, Justin Rose, uh, Bobby Mack is 10th on the world list. He's already locked in on the European list. Uh, Adrian Moronk is 11th on the world list and four, uh, fifth on the uh, European list. So he's probably going to get picked as well. Um, it's looking a lot more uh, locked in than it has in the past T-Dub. I, I mean, we've talked even like a month ago. We're like, who is the bottom half of the lineup going to be for the Europeans? At one point, we were talking about possibly, you know, why wouldn't they just put Sergio on there? Because none of these guys like Moronk or Power, Victor Perez, Alex Noren, Rasmus Hoygaard, Adrian Otegi, none of those guys were playing any good. Yannick Paul, another one of those names. Um, but now we kind of see the European team kind of taking shape. And um, I think the interesting thing about the European team is obviously the Americans are going to be massive favorites. But the thing about the Ryder Cup is you can hide the bottom half of your lineup the first couple of days when they play best ball and obviously alternate shots. So 
obviously those guys have to play singles matches on the last day, but the top half of the European lineup is just as good, if not better than the top half of the American lineup. John Rahm, Rory McIlroy, Victor Hovland, Tyrrell Hatton, Matt Fitzpatrick, and Tommy Fleetwood. Um, those guys are going to be a force to be reckoned with, and the U.S. hasn't beaten the European team on European soil since, I mean, not even in my lifetime. What was it, 1992 or 93 T-Dub back in the day? So um, I don't know. I, I think a lot of people are probably expecting a U.S. route this year, and I hate to say it, T-Dub, but my mind just keeps going back to when I picked the Europeans uh, at Whistling Straits and I looked like an idiot. I feel like I might have just been one Ryder Cup short on this. I feel like they're a really sneaky team to be reckoned with. Well, speaking of Europeans, Rory McIlroy had one of the worst liftouts I've ever seen in my entire life on 16 just now for par. It was a legit 360, so make sure anyone listening goes and checks that out. It's hard to find a lipout worse than that. But at the end of the day, Sam, we we know who the, the top of the Europeans are. You, you just rattled them off. Rory, Rom, Hatton, Hovland, Fleetwood, Matty Fitz, Justin Rose, Shane Lowry, the top eight. For sure. Then Seb Straka, Bobby Mack, I think, are going to be on the team. Bobby Mack looks like with the points that he'll actually earn his spot. Seb Straka, if he has high enough finish, too, he'll be able to earn his spot on there as well. So you're looking at about 10 players there that are set up. Then you're going to have the likes of a, I don't, unless Yannick Paul on this point system is down in fourth, unless he has a magical finish coming up at, at some point in the DP World Tour moves up, I don't think he's going to be picked. Adrian Maronco, you mentioned, he shot a, he shot a 67 today uh four under so that was uh the best round or tied for the best round uh shot so far scotty scheffler was the other one as well so it looks like he's training in the right direction rasmus hoygaard has been playing really good on dp world tour he's currently sixth on that point standings victor perez is seventh so that's another guy to look out for analytically a guy like aaron rye is probably the highest on there i'm a huge aaron rye fan everyone knows him for the the two gloves that he wears and also having iron covers which we can uh, debate that another day, but he would be a, a, a nice pick there. I've been a high proponent on uh, Lovig Aberg. I think that if you're not going to pick someone like Sergio for the experience, you better go ahead and do the opposite of that and get someone who that you know will be a catalyst for your European team probably for the next two decades going forward in Aberg. If you get him some experience on home soil, I think that's going to be good. But one point that I brought up, Sam, I remember whenever the Ryder Cup happened last year, I just said, or the, the last time I was listening straight, I said, that the home course or the home country advantage, I guess, is such an advantage. And with the, the, the game of golf being so, so many great players out there now that it's going to be hard to see where a visiting team is going to be able to have an advantage, uh, a, a distinct advantage over the, uh, the home team. So it's, uh, with how the Europeans are going to set up the course, it definitely does not suit up well for the Americans. And when you add up the, the top eight players or so the Europeans have, they're going to be very formidable for sure. They're going to have to the, – the bottom how many ever guys, three to four guys, they're going to be able to sit them and kind of hide them a little bit going in the singles. So the Europeans will probably need to have, if they want to win, probably going to need to have a, at least a two- or three-point lead going into singles because top to bottom, the Americans are still definitely better. But whenever you add how they're going to set up the course, narrow fairways, long rough, a little bit slower greens – it's going to be everything is going to be advantageous for the Europeans. So yeah, it's it's definitely going to be a lot lot closer than it was at Whistling Straits. There's no doubt about that. No doubt about it. And if you look at guys like a Hovland, Hatton, Fitzpatrick, Fleetwood, Lowry, Sepp Straka, even Justin Rose, all those guys are consistently 
great drivers of the golf ball and accurate drive, drivers of the golf ball and where the uh, most of the American team, I mean, you look at the guys on the American side, it's all bombers, right? I, I mean, you got Scheffler, who is obviously just the greatest ball striker of all time, uh, other than Tiger Woods this year. Um, so he's going to be fine wherever they play tee to green. But my point is, Wyndham Clark's a bomber. Brooks is a bomber. Now, Xander is not a bomber. Can't lay... You know, he's great off the tee as well. Homa's great off the tee as well. But you got guys like Keegan Bradley who can get wayward off the tee. Spieth can get wayward off the tee. Cam Young can get wayward off the tee. Uh, and Ricky Fowler. Now, this team, the more that I actually read this off, T-Dub, this team, this American team is a little bit more accurate off the tee than teams they've had in the past with whether you talk about teams with bombers like DJ who won't be there. Um, you could go back, you know, in the day with Tiger and Phil, but it's a little bit different style of American golf uh, that is being played right now. We hear all about how distance has taken over the game, but if you really look at the American team, you got guys like Morikawa and Burns and Ricky Fowler and Homa and Cantley and Shoffley that play similar to guys like Hovland and, uh, you know, Fitzpatrick and, and Terrell Hatton, those guys on the European side. Yeah, you look at just the best players currently in the world analytically off the tee. Scotty Scheffler's number one. This is over the course of the last 18 months, I believe. Scotty Scheffler's number one. Rory's two. Cantlay's three. Love it. Aberg is fourth, so maybe that's something that, that the Luke Donald will have to look at. Adrian Moronk, a guy who we're debating on his seventh, uh, one of the best drivers in the game. Hits, doesn't hit a bundly far, but hits a lot of fairways out there as well. He's a little bit above average in both categories. Cam Young's in sixth, but as you mentioned, he, he gets all his power from or all of his driving advantage from distance he's one of the more inaccurate players up there on that list John Rom's down there in eight so there's definitely a good mix uh, of good drivers there for both sides so it's uh but but at the same time though whenever you set up the, the course in Rome how it is I'm going to assume there's going to be a lot of holes to where driver is not going to be the place so it's going to take in a lot of aspects it will take the distance advantage that the that the Americans have on a lot of levels out of their hands so it's one, once again, another one of the reasons why the, the, the ability to be able to set up the course how you want is, is, so, is so advantageous to whoever's hosting the tournament that it's not even funny. And I think that it's going to probably pay dividends. The Americans, at least at this point, are still going to be my pick to win it. But it's, it's going to be even more nail-biter. And then also, too, just the fact that we're seeing these bottom Europeans like Estraka, Bobby Mack, even a Moroc who's playing a lot better. It's definitely making it – it's making Luke Donald's job a little bit easier, which is something that, as us Americans, did not want to be the case. We were hoping that he was – I was hoping that he was going to have to be forced to pick Sergio because no one else was playing any good. But it looks like, at least up to this point, that uh, unless something drastically happens, I don't think Sergio has a chance to make this team. Let's go back to the Open for a second, give you guys an update on the Open Championship. We got Brian Harmon still with a five-shot lead. Brian Harmon, 12-under for the golf tournament, even par through 11 holes. We have a tied for second place. Now we have Tom Kim and Sepp Straka both at seven-under par. Tom Kim is four-under in this final round, he started off the round with two bogeys on one and two, but then got a birdie at four, an eagle at five, a birdie at nine to shoot two under on the front nine, and then he birdied 11 and 15. He's playing the 16th hole right now, tied for second for the young South Korean. Um, Sepp Straka still at seven under par, two under on his round through 14 holes. Emiliano Grillo, Rory McIlroy, Tommy Fleetwood, Jason Day, and John Rahm all six under par 
for the golf tournament tied for fourth place. Um, Brian Harmon with a win today at the Open Championship, T-Dub. It would obviously be his first major win in 30 career starts. At age 36, he would be the oldest first-time major winner since Sergio Garcia, who was 37 at the 2017 Masters. And Brian Harmon would also become the first American to win his first major title at the Open Championship since Stuart Sink in 2009. It's kind of ironic. We were talking about Stuart Sink earlier on this year, T-Dub. Earlier on this week, I mean. Yeah, everyone's favorite major winner, Stuart Sink, beating the legend Tom Watson, who is 59 years old, still one of the better accomplishments ever happened in golf. Even if he didn't win, to be able to beat that many players, how he did was truly remarkable. So, yeah, this is uh, – for Brian Harmon, it's a it's a huge accomplishment. It looks like that he's really got this game in control and this tournament in control. He had his uh, approach shot on number twelve to about about fifteen feet or so, going to have a nice little putt for birdie there with a five shot lead. And then also too, you look at Straka and Tom Kim, who are both at seven under, five back. Tom Kim only has three holes left. Straka has four holes left. So they they are definitely running out of time. And then even like Grillo and McIlroy down there at six under, they're both on eighteen currently. So yeah, there's. There, there was a lot of golf to be played earlier. It looks like that there's a lot less now that has to be happened. And, and we, it's even more solidified now. Brian Harmon's got a 95.2% chance to win. So unless, unless he finds the out-of-bounds on 18 or makes a catastrophic score on the short par 317th, which, as you mentioned earlier, with it being softer, it's going to be really hard to do because the ball is less likely to be able to run off into one of those treacherous spots. When he, especially since he's a great, such a great wedge player, it's going to be hard for him to hit a horrible wedge out there to miss that. So now Brian Harmon has this tournament uh, all but sewn up unless something drastic occurs. That's exactly right. I mean, nothing in his game tells me that he is going to make a massive mistake coming down the stretch. He's just one of those guys that puts it in the fairway, puts it on or next to the green and gets up and down. Absolutely great putter, especially this week in the first two rounds, gaining over four shots on the field per day on the greens. Um, coming down the stretch here, I just don't see a world where he does collapse. I don't see how he could collapse because he, all he has to do is make pars and even bogeys at times will be fine coming down the stretch here with this five shot lead. You know that I think six other guys other than Harmon, it would be Tiger Woods, Rory McIlroy, Brooks Kepka, Rory again, Tiger again, and then Martin Keimer. Those guys all had five or more shot leads going into the final round of major championships and every single one of those guys they they got the job done on Sunday so when we talk about Harmon it would have been a catastrophic loss for Harmon but I mean even par through 11 holes I don't see a world where he does collapse T-Dub no it's going to be exceptionally hard and you look at the guys as we mentioned behind him Tom Kimmerstrock is probably going to have to get to I would say nine under at worst for any chance I don't see a way Harmon that could play these last uh, seven holes at five over par to get back down to them. But is there a world where he plays them three over? It's not very likely, but it's still possible. So one of those guys, Tom Kim's going to have to go out there. Straka is going to have to birdie a couple holes coming in because there's just there's not enough holes left, and the wind's not blowing hard enough for Harmon to make a catastrophic error that that would occur. It, it, it's just it's it's not going to happen. Like I said, unless we enter some unique parallel universe. The only guy that could do it is John Rahm because he's the only guy with enough holes left to do it, I think. And he is putting for birdie here on the 13th hole. He has about a four-footer 
for birdie on the 13th hole. We will update you on if John Rahm makes that putt to go to seven under for the golf tournament after the break here on the 73rd hole radio show live on the Sports Animal. Sam Humphreys, Taylor Williams, Preston Poole coming back at you for hour two of the 73rd hole radio show live on Oklahoma's leader in golf, the Sports Animal. Hello, golfers. The golfers here. Now live on WWLS, the sports animal. This is the 73rd hole with Sam Humphreys. I'm Tiger Woods. I'm Tiger Woods. Sam. Oklahoma's premier golf show, giving you insider access and interviews to golf in the state of Oklahoma and on the PGA Tour. Good shot. It's the 73rd hole. I love (laughs) y'all. On 98.1 FM, WWLS. The Sports Animal. And we are back for hour two right here on the 73rd Hole Radio Show on the Sports Animal. Sam Humphreys, Taylor Williams, Preston Poole with you until noon. It's an ugly, ugly day at Royal Liverpool. It's windy a little bit and especially rainy. Just a steady cold rain all day at Royal Liverpool. But so far, Brian Harmon has weathered the storm and he is 12 under par for the golf tournament, even par on his round today. He has a five shot lead right now after 12 holes, five shot lead over Tom Kim, Sepp Straka. And as I mentioned before the break, John Rahm, John Rahm has just birdied the par three 13th to go one under on his round seven under for the golf tournament to vault him up into a tie for second place. Uh, T-Dub, let's break this down. Now, I think John Rahm is the only guy that can do enough to catch Brian Harmon because I don't think he's going to screw up too bad coming down the stretch because there isn't as much wind today on, you know, especially the 17th hole. It's playing a little softer. You're not going to see as much roll off on the 17th hole as you've seen, especially the first couple of days. And Brian Harmon's left-handed, so that 18th tee shot, he can just you know, hit a high yaw way to the left and make an easy par on 18. Uh, assuming that he doesn't do anything stupid on 18, I think he's going to get this in the clubhouse somewhere around 11, 12, or 13 under. So let's say, what does Rom have to do? He has to get five shots back here in these next five holes. He's playing 14 right now, um, but he does have two par fives. He needs to at least make an Eagle, I think, on 15 or 18 to make this extremely interesting coming down the stretch. But even if he just gets birdies at 15 and 18, he needs to get a birdie at 14, 16, or 17. T-Dub, what does he have to do to do that? I do think I think you're right. I think he's going to have to get, or anyone chasing, is going to have to get the double digits under. going to have to get the 10 under. I think that's really the only way. You look at the five holes remaining, 14 and 16 are fairly difficult par fours, and then 15 and 18 are the par fives, with 17 being the par three. I think Brian Harmon would have to make five or worse on four of the remaining five holes, really, for any chance for for anyone to catch him. And the odds of that happening, I think, are pretty slim. So maybe even 10's not going to be enough in that aspect. So, But to do that, as you mentioned, you've got to take advantage. The biggest thing is you don't have to make any bogeys. If you bogey 14 or 16, which you're playing fairly difficult, then you're absolutely out of it there. But if he is able to birdie 15 and then 18, it's going to be fairly tough 
to uh, to eagle them. I don't think anyone has eagled 15 or 18 at all today, so he would be the first on either one of those holes to get that done. So we're going to go ahead and not count that as a as an option. So give me 15 and 18 for birdies. Throw, maybe throw a tight one in there on 17, get it up to 10 under. The, the simple solution, you just say, well, just birdie the last five holes, and then you can do that. Well, the odds of that are also very slim as well. So I think that you have to birdie both the par fives and then probably birdie 17 in there or throw in a birdie on one of the other holes. I, I think 10 under is the, the lowest that, that Brian Harmon will get to. I, didn't, I don't see a world where Brian Harmon wins this tournament at single digits under par. I agree with you, and I can update you that Brian Harmon is playing the par 3 13th hole out at Royal Liverpool right now. He hit his tee shot long, but caught a nice lie in the first cut of the rough over the green and hit a nice chip shot up there uh, to about four feet. And he's automatic inside 10 feet, T-Dub. I I don't see that changing coming down the stretch either. Uh, I mentioned the weather at the start of this segment and when it's rainy and cold and a little bit of wind out there, I mean, it's a lot of wind for, you know, the PGA tour, right? When they play in the PGA tour bubble, as people call it, um, people from Oklahoma might not think there's much wind out there today, but it's wet and cold out at Royal Liverpool. That's a miserable day, especially for caddies. And there's a local tie with Brian Harmon because his caddy is Scott Tway and Scott Tway. Yes, that's the same Tway name. He is the brother of Bob Tway. He was a caddy for Bob Tway and also a longtime caddy for Scott Verplank on the PGA tour. Now he is on the bag for Brian Harmon. They were talking about how uh, Paul Tesori, who is on the bag for Cam Young and Scott Tway, both have about a, a combined 45 years of caddying experience in that final group. So T-Dub, explain to the people out there, number one, how tough the caddying job is on a day like this with the wet, cold conditions, and also explain what it would mean to Scott Tway for him to get his first major championship. Well, to your point, this is the day that a day like this or where the caddy earns their paycheck. They, it is a full-time job in this endeavor. You have, you have to make sure the gloves are dry. You have to make sure you got a dry towel. You have to make sure the grips are dry. You got to make sure the player's not getting pounded with rain when he's over the putt. It's not, hasn't been an extent today, but you'll see the times where they have to hold the umbrella over the player right before they putt to make sure the ball doesn't get abundantly wet. So there's a lot more that goes into it for the caddy whenever the rain starts going. A, a caddy would probably rather the wind blow than the rain blow. I don't think there's any doubt along that, but for the player, it's the exact opposite. But for a man, Scott Tway, he was actually one of the very first guests that we had on the 73rd hole podcast back in probably 2020, the summer of 2020 around there. And it was during COVID time, so there wasn't any golf being played, but he came on, gave some tremendous answers. One of the uh, – well, I'm just one of the best caddies out there, but one of the nicest caddies you'll find out there as well. Just a very humble, humble guy, and uh, rightfully aren't deserving of his uh, first major championship as well. Been out there, him and him and Paul DeSoria, as you mentioned, that final group, they have so much experience there uh, caddying. So, yeah, it would be great as we watch Brian Harmon actually miss that par putt on 13 to get back down to 11 under. So the door is open a it's little bit. It's getting interesting a little Brian bit. Harmon. It is. It is. Because that was – because, Sam, that was not a very confident stroke there. That's the thing. No. Usually we're seeing a nice fir- firm stroke coming in, had a little bit of break on it, looked like he was maybe trying to take some break out and hit it firm, and he did not able to commit to it. So if, he, if Brian Harmon hits some putts like that, Sam, coming down the stretch, it, it opens up the door to a lot more players coming man, in, even though Rom on 14 did not hit a very good shot in there, a good approach shot. 
Our man Woody always talks about coming down the stretch. These guys get that stuff in their neck, and you start to have different feelings in your hands than you've had all week. Brian Harmon, like I said, was 44 for 44 inside of 10 feet the first three rounds. He didn't miss inside of 10 feet in the first three rounds. Uh, And now, like you said, he has that right-to-left putt. Remember, he's left-handed, so it's breaking away from him, and he didn't hit a very confident putt whatsoever that looked like a very timid stroke we will have to keep an eye on that coming down the stretch because if Brian Harmon uh it starts missing putts coming down the stretch now it's going to get interesting because he hasn't been missing all week and he's gonna have some long shots into some of these par fives and even par fours where it it could be an easy birdie on 15 or 18 for a guy like Rom it's not necessarily an easy birdie for Harmon if he did get one of those insurance birdies coming down the stretch it's going to make Kim Straka and Rom's job a lot harder but Rom I mean like you said he still has uh five holes left and I where did he hit it on 14 T-Dub you, you said he didn't hit a very good shot into four, the par 4 14th yeah I think he missed he, he missed the green for sure if he did I, I just saw that he had a one-handed follow through he could have done the Hideki and ended up getting really close I'm not sure it just didn't look like the best shot. I didn't see where the ball actually ended up. But the thing with Brian Harmon, though, Sam, is is too that we've we've all played not golf at this level, but we all played at fairly high level. And we played good golf in our time too. And whenever you have the putter rolling good and you're confident there, until you miss one, you don't really have any shadow of a doubt in your head. But now that he's missed that first putt and it didn't even hit the hole from what six feet or whatever it was, it was not a good putt whatsoever. So the fact that now there's a little bit of doubt creeping in, not just the doubt of, of can I win a first major, it's can I – that too, but can I just get it done to win this tournament? He's only won a couple of times on the PJ Tour, so this is fairly foreign Terry to our man uh, Brian Harmon. As we saw John Rahm, he did miss the green to the left and hit a horrible chip. He's going to have about a 25-footer for par coming up, so it looks like uh, Rahm's going to have to make a long par putt and then have some more magic if he's going to want to have a chance to win. Yeah, and I can't update you now that he missed that putt. He made bogey at 14, so John Rahm drops back to six under par in a tied for fourth, along with Emiliano Grillo, Rory, who finished his round at three under on the day, six under for the tournament, Tommy Fleetwood, Jason Day, and John Rahm all tied for fourth place, you still have Sepp Straka and Tom Kim tied for second at seven under par. So the, John Rahm's job just got extremely, extremely harder after making that bogey. The door was open a little bit after Harmon bogeys the par three 13th hole, but unfortunately Rahm bogeys the par four 14th, and now you have to get some help from Harmon coming down the stretch, and it's going to be tough. He hasn't really cracked yet this week. He's made three bogeys on the day-to-day, but really that putt we just saw on 13 was the first real short putt that we've seen Harmon miss. I would be surprised if we see him miss a couple more short putts coming down the stretch, but John Rahm, Tom Kim, Sepp Straka, all those guys I just listed off are going to need Harmon to fall back to them, it looks like, because they're running out of time. Uh, T-Dub, what are your overall thoughts on Royal Liverpool? I like the changes that they have made to the golf course. I liked the 17th hole, and it's not going to get super dicey today because it's wet uh, and softer, and I think that you could have gotten it a little bit dicey if it's super windy and the greens are firm and then balls are rolling off into the pot bunkers on the left and right. Um, 
but we didn't get that wind here on this Sunday and we got softer conditions. So I am fine with the 17th hole. I, I don't mind the end course out of bounds, at least watching it. If I was a player, I would probably hate it. T-Dub, but all in all, I like the changes that they made. And even though Brian Harmon's going to probably win this golf tournament, you ended up getting a solid leaderboard with names like Jason Day, John Rahm, Rory McIlroy, Tommy Fleetwood, Cam Young, Max Homa, Antoine Rosner, who plays great on the DP World Tour. Big names in the game of golf up there on this leaderboard. Brian Harmon's just playing better than all of them. I don't think you can say it's a bad tournament because you've got a first-time major winner. I completely agree, Sam. I think that one thing about the British Open is that it's so it's such a unique test. If we had every course on the PJ Tour set up like Royal Liverpool, I think, we'd, okay, that's probably a little bit excessive. It's not something you want to see on an extremely regular basis. But for it being an open championship course, I thought it was exceptionally well, in all honesty. I completely agree about the end course out of bounds. It's, it's made watching it very entertaining. As a player, it's one of the things I despise the most. It's, it's probably 1B to the divot in the middle of the fairway, not being able to get relief from that. It's a 1A, 1B situation. Because in course out of bounds, I just despise it with all my passion. If you can see your ball and you can hit your ball, you should be able to hit it under any situation. So the fact that they did it is and, – and they were saying this too. And it's, this isn't something they uniquely added for this tournament. Apparently when they play Royal Liverpool all the time, this is how it is where the in course out of bounds is like that. They did kind of tweak it a little bit for this tournament, but at the same time it's something that's always – there it's not like the members can hit it out there and then get to hit their shot so it's they're trying to keep it a little consistent there i really i have enjoyed the 17th hole i think that it's very entertaining we talked a little bit about this on uh when you were uh, filling in on saturday or on friday night i mean where it maybe the placement of where it is in the round is a little bit extreme we didn't necessarily see it in a situation where we had 25 to 30 mile an hour winds gusting so maybe if they come back here at Royal liverpool maybe that would be a situation to watch out for because also because if you get it hard and firm with that wind that's going to make that shot a lot harder but at least it's how it's played this week along with the rest of the course i think i think it's been a, a great test i truly have i think the the pop bunkers are something that they placed in good positions maybe there's a couple of them, at least on the first day seemed like they were extremely more penalizing as it gotten more wet it makes the sand more compact which makes the bunkers abundantly amount easier for that to be the case so i think that's been actually something that's benefited the Royal Liverpool over the course of the last couple of days. And whenever I look at a good tournament, Sam, a good course, I think a score around double digits under par is about right. Maybe if you, like we have right here, you have one guy who's under double digits, next guy's at seven under. You have, what do you have? Currently you have 23 players that are under par. I think that's a good sign that it was a good test because if you got five more mile per hour wind each day, the scores, you would have had only probably 10 players break par. So I think as far as the course setup and the way RNA did it, I would give him uh, probably an A-minus job at works right now. As we watch Tom Kim tee off on the 18th hole, he needs an eagle here to give himself a chance at winning this Open Championship. Brian Harmon, 11 under par through 13 holes of his final round, one over on his round today. Tom Kim is four under on his round today, seven under for the golf tournament. If he were to get to nine, it could make Brian Harmon at least think coming down the stretch, and Tom Kim is in the fairway off the 18th. Uh, We mentioned that John Rahm bogeyed the 14th hole to go back to six under for the golf tournament. He is in the fairway on the par five fifth. So he needs a birdie or an eagle to make things interesting coming down the stretch. Preston, I was going to ask you when we were talking about the golf course and the open championship as a whole, 
you're not a golf nerd like us, but you're a casual golf fan. Do you enjoy watching the Open Championship, and do you love it, hate it, or are you indifferent on it as opposed to a normal golf tournament? Uh, so I like watching it on like days like today where it looks very challenging and I would want no part of being out there at all. Right. Um, but yeah, no, I enjoy it. I, I kind of like the uh, the style of like Lynx golf and stuff like that. Yeah, no, it's really interesting, and it could have gotten really interesting if we had wind along with this cold and rain on this Sunday, but like T-Dub said at the start of the show, it looks tougher than it necessarily is for these golfers. Uh, These golfers would choose rain over wind 10 days out of 10, and so while it looks like terrible conditions and it's miserable to be out there in that cold, wet, you know, rain the whole day, uh, the scores aren't going to be impacted as much as if you had like 20 mile per hour winds like we saw in the first couple of days. We need to hit a break here on the 73rd hole radio show. We will keep you updated on the open championship here coming up after the break. And we will also be talking about one of our favorite guys, Brandel Chambly after the break here. So stay tuned to the 73rd hole where you have Sam Humphreys, Taylor Williams, and Preston pool with you until noon on Oklahoma's leader in golf, the sports animal. And we're back here on the 73rd hole radio show live on the sports animals, Sam Humphreys, Taylor Williams, Preston pool with you until noon. Fellas, do you remember when I told you that I don't think that Brian Harmon is going to miss putts coming down the stretch? Well, it only took him one hole to make up for that tentative stroke on 13 with a 40 foot bomb on 14 and so basically when we were talking about John Rom, what he has to do in these last five holes right there on 14, John Rom makes bogey and Brian Harmon makes a 40 foot bomb for birdie. So you have a two shot swing between those two guys. And I can also update you now that Sepp Straka has also birdied the 16th hole, which is a par four. And so Sepp Straka is in solo second Four shots behind Brian Harmon at 12 under par. Brian Harmon, 12 under. Sepp Straka, 8 under. Tom Kim, Jason Day, both at 7 under. And then you have Grillo, McElroy, Fleetwood, and Rom all tied for 5th place at 6 under par. T-Dub, what were your thoughts on what we saw over the break? Oh, what a great puff from Brian Harmon. As you mentioned, there was not much tentativeness in there. You'd be thinking, okay, well, I just missed a short putt. I just want to cozy on up there so I don't have to think much about it. And, no, he was just a, a very, very true stroke. What we're used to seeing Brian Harmon do, and it was tremendous putt. With two par fives in the last four holes now, it's going to be very hard to see anything happening. And also for me as well, having picked Rory McIlroy in the one and done sitting there at T5, if we could have a Jason Day or Tom Kim bogey coming down the stretch and move him up into a T4, that would be a lot better. So that is where my interest is right now because I'm not sure the interest in who's going to win this tournament is going to vary very much because I don't see – after that last putt right there and Rom not able to make a birdie or make it a bogey on 14, it's it's almost sewn this tournament up uh, as, as sealed shut as you can get. Yeah, if anyone's going to catch him now, I guess Rom could get extremely – you know, red hot coming down the stretch, but that's probably not going to happen. Straka is playing the 17th hole right now, and he hit his first shot to 11 feet. So if Straka gets it to nine after 17 and then makes a birdie or an eagle on 18, things could get interesting. But like you just said, Brian Harmon is just so rock solid. He's not going to make 
the massive mistake to lose him the golf tournament coming down the stretch. I would be shocked if that happened at Royal Liverpool this afternoon. T-Dub, let me pay off my tease before the break. I said that we would talk a little bit about Brandel Chambly, and I knew you would have some thoughts on this. Brandel Chambly at the start of the week on Live From says that it's time to add a fifth major championship. Quote, Liv has managed to poach some of the most compelling players away from the PGA Tour, and it's made the majors more compelling. I think there should be more sting for defecting away from the PGA Tour. I can't think of a better way to do that than making the Players' Championship a major championship. It should have been a major eons ago, and in my view, it is a major championship, but it should have the designation the PGA Tour has the power to do that. The players have the power to do that. End quote from Brandel Chambly. What are your thoughts, T-Dub, on Brandel saying that the fifth major should be the fifth major? Okay. I, I had some friends talk to me about this in the last couple of days. And I don't Am I the only one who is just abundantly opposed to adding a fifth major? Is it not one of the most disgraceful things that you could do in golf to completely change how the record books were done, and everyone's going to say, oh, well, the, the, there then used to be a, a PGA Championship and a Masters in there. It used to be the uh, British Sam and the U.S. Sam. Well, okay, yes, but there were still always four majors, and then people will say, well, at one time they considered the Western Open a major, but now they don't anymore. It's not counted in the record books. And then there was, in the 50s, there was a World Golf Championship, which was essentially what Liv is now. They just had a huge purse and invited all the players. They try to count that as a major for a while and it didn't work. It, Sam, it would be the biggest travesty that could have happened to golf. I, I complained how much earlier I hate in-course out-of-bounds. If you want to add another major championship to the record books, it would be an absolute joke, also considering the fact that I'm not the biggest fan of TPC Sawgrass. I don't think it's the best test to determine who would a major championship would be. It's a classic Pete Dye tricked-out golf course where you could have one bounce that ends up three feet from the hole and then a bounce two inches to the left ends up you're making bogey or double. I don't think it's a good test. There's so many other good courses. If you do want to add a fifth major, which there's no way that I would ever be a proponent of that, go to Riviera, go to even Quail Hollow, go to Muirfield. I feel like those are much better golf courses than TBC Sawgrass. TBC Sawgrass is great condition-wise, but as for overall setup, I think it's absolutely horrible. So, no, there's not any realm, Sam, where I would advocate for the Players' Championship to be a major. If they did do it, worst-case scenario, they would have to go to different golf courses every year. There's no way that TBC Sawgrass every single year should be able to dictate who is going to have a major championship. It would be an absolute crime to not just golf now, but the history of the game. And then for Brandel Chamblee, also the week of a major championship to use that as a theme of saying we need to get back to the live guys by adding a major they can't play in. It's a joke, Sam. Truly is. Just when you think that Brandel Chamblee can't be any more of an idiot, he comes at you with more idiot-like stuff. So my thoughts on this are very simple. How in the world are you going to convince the golf public, golf fans, that it's a major championship when you don't allow the live players to play? How in the world is it going to be a major championship in everyone's mind, public perception, if you don't allow everybody to play? That's the point of the major championships. That's why they've been so compelling because it brings everyone in the world of golf, all the elite golfers together together. 
to play against each other. Now, the other thing is, is I don't understand why Brandel used that platform during major week to bring this up. I think that he has just been trying to think of a way to get back at all these live guys because Brandel was so wrong for so long. And T-Dub, when I think about this, it makes no sense to change the record books. And yes, you can say, like you just said, that certain you know tournaments have been majors in the past. Well, not in the modern era. You can't add a major championship to the record books. Then how are we going to compare guys in the future to what Tiger Woods did? And like that was the great part about the Tiger Woods and Jack Nicholas debate on who's the GOAT is both played four major championships a year. If you add a major championship, it ruins all of those statistics and it it waters down what it means to win a major championship. This is just more lunacy from idiot boy, Brandel Chambly. Also, too, everyone has been saying for years now that the Players' Championship is the best field in golf, best tournament. Well, guess what? This year it wasn't. It wasn't, in my opinion, really, I don't think it was a top five tournament. In all honesty, maybe it was whenever you add it all up, but I think that whenever you add all the players that are on live into it, I feel like that the, the four majors are going to have a lot better. The PJ Championship was an abundantly better field than the Players' Championship was. It's not even funny in that aspect. And then even a tournament like the Masters, yes, they only have 80 players. When you add in the, the amount of players that can actually win the tournament, I think it was it was better in that aspect as well. So, no, I, I completely – the, the fact that it's the best field in golf anymore is, is not applicable in this situation. Then you have the situation saying, what do you do with the record books? Tiger won two players' championship. Are you just going to give him two more majors now so he's going to have 17? <laughs> I, think Jack, 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 I think Jack won a, a players back in when it was first round. That's another thing, too. The players' championship has only been around since the mid-'70s. So you're going to say that all the other players who didn't get to play in the players because the course didn't exist, they're, they just are, they're screwed. They don't have a chance. Then you also have – the situation of, as I mentioned earlier, uh, Tiger said on numerous occasions that he geared his schedule up for the four majors. Had he had the players been a fifth major, I promise you, he probably would have won it more than twice. Even though he didn't like the course, he would have geared his game up to make it better. So, no, there, there is no way for the record book, Sam, that you would be able to make this applicable in any situation. It's Once again, it's just Brandel being stupid. Here's another stupid thing that Brandel said this week, just slightly off topic. They, he asked Jaime Diaz if Brian Harmon's win would be as shocking as a Todd Hamilton or a Ben Curtis or Paul Laurie type situation. Brian Harmon's the 26th ranked player in the world, a 30th ranked player analytically, <laughs> by far a top 35 player. All those other guys were clearly outside the top 150. The, the absolute shame that he brought onto our man Brian Harmon and Scott Tway with that comment was an absolute crime, almost a bigger crime as it is to say the Players' Championship should be a major. It's, it's, I'm almost about to throw my computer at the wall, saying with how much it's infuriating me. People don't realize how good Brian Harmon has been really over the last four or five years. Brian Harmon, T-Dub, I mean, he's one of those guys that is just consistently up there. Now, he hasn't won since 2017 at the Wells Fargo, but Brian Harmon, he's had, what, nine top tens in PGA Tour events since his win in 2017, and that's the most on the PGA Tour during that span, and when you look at Brian Harmon's career summary here on Data Golf, he has not lost shots on the greens in his entire career, going back to 2012, T-Dub. 
he is one of the most consistent putters on the PGA Tour. And when I think of Brian Harmon, I think a lot of what Kevin Kisner said back in the day, talking about Torrey Pines. He said, I have no chance to win here. Um, and they're like, well, Kevin, why are you here then? And he said, because they pay me a boatload of money for finishing tied for 20th, right? And so uh, Brian Harmon is a little bit in that boat where some of these courses he can't compete on because he doesn't hit the ball as far. But Brian Harmon, T-Dub, was one of the best junior players in the world, and he was kind of like a can't-miss guy, but the game passed him up a little bit when it went towards more geared towards distance and I love watching Brian Harmon's game, but yeah, he won the U S junior. He won the, you know, junior players, uh, won the players amateur back in 2005, won the Porter cup in 2007, big time junior player. He's on uh winning rider, uh, Walker cup teams in 2005 and 2009, uh, 2007 Palmer cup team. So that is a good news, uh good sign for the U S Ryder cup team this year that he's had experience playing for, his country and team golf. But Brian Harmon is one of the more consistent players on the PGA tour. He just doesn't win that much because there's different levels to this stuff, right? T dub. I mean, he can't just shoot, you know, 21 under par on some of these tough golf courses just because he doesn't hit it far enough. Right. But he's one of the elite guys. When we talk about short game on the PGA tour. Well, just to put it in perspective, he is currently before this tournament, 46 on the all-time, all-time PGA Tour money list. He has made $29 million before this week. He's going to add another $3 million to that, so he's going to have $32 million made in his career on the PGA Tour. Very, very impressive stuff. And as you mentioned, one of the better junior golfers of, at least in my time, he's, he's 36 years old now, I'm 30, so he was a little bit older than me, so I remember playing junior golf. Kind of looking up to Brian Harmon in a sense because he's always number one on the polo rankings, which is the, the AJGA points for who's the best junior in the world. He was a two- or three-time AJGA All-American, which is a very, very highly esteemed honor to be able to do that. And as you mentioned, yeah, he's it's kind of the way that the game had shifted, which has really, really hurt him because he's only five foot seven. He's not able to generate an abundance of clubhead speed. So he's going to have to make up for it with his short game, with accuracy, and with his putting. And unfortunately, there's a lot of golf courses you play now 7,600-yard courses with firm greens, wherever you're hitting a long iron into it and other guy's hitting a short iron, you just put at a massive disadvantage. And unfortunately, that, that's been the case for Brian Harmon. That's why he's only won, what, two times, I believe, on the PGA Tour um, before he's going to get a win this week. So it's, uh, it's a good time. It's a good time coming. It goes to show that you can keep grinding it out on the Tour and uh, keep making great money. And also, as, as you've seen, if you keep putting in the hard work, eventually the results will come, as we've seen this week. And – like I said, it's it's more just the the way that golf has evolved, Sam. Had it been had golf been the same as it was twenty years ago, Brian Harmon would probably be a double digit winner on the PGA Tour. No doubt about it. Good stuff there, T Dub. I want to update the people on this Open Championship leaderboard because I've gotten two texts saying that Direct TV is having trouble with NBC. Uh, right now so update on the leaderboard Brian Harmon is even par on his round through 14 holes that puts him at 12 under par for the golf tournament he has a four shot lead over Sepp Straka who is solo second place at eight under par for the golf tournament three under on his round through 17 holes he's playing the 18th hole right now he needs a birdie or an eagle to make things extremely interesting coming down the stretch Tied for third, you have Tom Kim and Jason Day at seven under par. Tied for fifth, you have Grillo, McElroy, 
Rom, all tied for fifth at six under par. And then to round out the top 10, you got Sharma and Young tied for eighth at five under. And then Homa, Matthew Jordan, who it's his home course, uh, are both four under par tied for 10th place right now. That would be cool to see Matthew Jordan on his home course uh, finish tied for 10th in the Open Championship. We'll keep you updated on the leaderboard for one final segment on the 73rd hole. If you're not already subscribed to the 73rd hole podcast, definitely make sure and go do so. We got great content coming up for you leading up to the Ryder Cup. It's absolutely free. It just helps us out and it will give you a notification whenever we drop a new episode. Definitely go subscribe to the 73rd hole podcast. This is the 73rd hole radio show. Sam Humphreys, Taylor Williams, Preston Poole with you for one more segment after the break here on Oklahoma's leader in golf, the sports animal. And we're back here on the 73rd hole radio show for one final segment. Sam Humphreys, Taylor Williams, Preston Poole with you and I can update you guys on this open championship leaderboard. Brian Harmon just made another birdie at the par five 15th hole. This is exactly what I, how I thought he would play these par fives. TW hit a, you know, 270 yard drive off the tee into the fairway lays up to about 130 yards, hits it to eight feet and whether he makes it or, you know, lags it up there. I mean, he's not going to make any mistakes coming down the stretch. He rolls in the eight foot birdie putt. And now if you look at this leaderboard, it's basically a lock that Brian Harmon is the champion golfer of the year. 13 under par as a five shot lead over Sepp Straka in solo second place. Brian Harmon's going to win this open championship t Yes, and he hit it down the uh, the uh, his down the left side of the fairway on 16, but still in the fairway, sitting very pretty there. So yeah, he is all but the uh, the engraver on the on the claret jug has probably already started putting Brian Harmon's name in there. And for clarification's sake, for the analytics, 98.8 percent chance now that he wins. Actually, that's 98.8 percent chance before he even count his birdie on here. So it's going to be 99.9 percent. So yeah, there's a. Uh, there's not a world that happens unless we have another stoppage for a, a toad situation or whatever, whatever in the world happened yesterday where we had to stop the round with the, uh, to make sure the toad was going to be safe. Then that's going to be the only thing that's going to stop Brian Harmon from getting this trophy. And he's going to join, you know, an elite list of guys to win major championships. Tito, I don't think people realize how much this absolutely solidifies and changes a career. I mean, just look at Bob Tway. Uh, wins one major championship uh, back in 1986, and it it just sets you up for life. These major championships, especially nowadays, T-Dub, I mean, you get, what, $3 million for winning the actual golf tournament, but winning a major championship is worth over $10 million in endorsements, right? Yeah, maybe even potentially more in a lot of situations. And also, too, Brian Harmon, very very solid player, so he's got – status for a while but he's going to this gives him automatic five-year exemption onto pga tour into every major going forward as well so this was absolutely monumental also as a 36 year old individual if you get five more years down so you're going to have essentially the whole rest of your career sewn up on how much that you want to play he'll be fully exempt until he's at minimum 41 years old so that's uh plus he also has the type of game too to where like he he was never a bomber, so he's not like he's going to be losing an abundant amount of distance. So as he gets older, the game that he has will translate into older age as well. So this is, even though this is going to be the first 
really massive win in Brian Harmon's career. This is going to be the last time that we hear from him. He's going to uh, keep contending more, and we're definitely going to see him on the Ryder Cup team now. That's 100% going to be official after this win. No doubt about it. And he becomes the first American to win his first Open Championship, uh, win his first major at the Open Championship since Stuart Sink back in 2009. I don't have to list off all the guys that have won one Open Championship or one major championship. That puts you in an elite list of golfers, T-Dub. And it's awesome to see that a guy, he did it for all the short kings out there. You know, a, a guy that's 5'7", doesn't hit the ball that far. It's kind of like we're watching golf, you know, back before the whole distance took over golf. And I, I think that Royal Liverpool really did its job. I know that Liverpool had had two great winners with Rory McIlroy and Tiger Woods the last two times the Open Championship was there. Um, but Brian Harmon is not just some no-name journeyman like a you know Ben Curtis, for instance, like we talked about last segment. This is a big-time uh, winner for the game of golf, and I think that people are going to fall in love with Brian Harmon at the Ryder Cup coming up in September, especially with how he rolls the rock. Well, and also one thing that, that puts some emphasis on the uh, the – the internet says he's five foot seven. I think he's five foot seven with high heel shoes on. It's, it's a very, very short five seven. So when you talk about the short kings, it's definitely, definitely short. I'm, I'm going to lean more towards the the aspect of about a five six or so. But we'll be generous and give him the five seven. But one thing that's interesting about the Open Championship, right? We we mentioned earlier Tom Watson at 59 years old having a chance to win, and it seems like the older, more it's more of a feel style of game in Lynx golf, and that's what Brian Harmon has shown here. It's not necessarily an aspect. It's not like modern golf is over here in America where you hit the ball 330 yards, hit it up by the green, you're going to have a little flip wedge, and you're going to putt on greens that are 14 on, on the stip meter. It's an entirely different style of golf, and I think that opens up the door to a lot more players, as it did for, for Brian Harmon as well. Is Brian Harmon going to be a guy you look at, it, for example, in Augusta National, a course like that? So he's like, well, even though he's from Georgia, just talking about the, the overall layout of it and the game that it suits. Probably not, but the, the style of golf here definitely suits up for him, so it's with how he was playing going into this week and also with how the, the course conditions weren't set up for him, it, it shouldn't be really to anyone's shock that he's uh, at least contending in this tournament. It may be a shock that he's out there winning by five shots currently for really anyone, even if you're one of the best golfers in the game. To win a major by that many shots is so hard to do. It's unbelievable. And I'm happy for our man, Scott Tway. Obviously, he came on the 73rd Hole podcast at the beginning of the 73rd Hole podcast before I was even on with you and Colby Powell. So if you want to go back and listen to that interview with Scott Tway a couple of years ago, you can do that on the 73rd Hole anywhere you get your podcast. Um, awesome for Scott Tway. He had, you know, he was on the bag for Scott Verplank for so many years, had so many close calls and major championships with him. Uh, obviously caddied in the Ryder cup with Scott Verplank, uh, numerous times. And so it's going to be cool for Scott Tway, not only to get that first major championship, but for him to caddy in the Ryder cup. It's really awesome. It really is. Yeah. And he's had so much, so much experience in, in major championship at this point, had experience caddying with, with Scott Verb playing some of those Ryder Cups. So definitely a huge, huge, huge member of Brian Harmon's team and a massive reason as to why he's been able to steady the ship so much, I feel like, in this. And then the first uh, – he really won this tournament when you're going to look back on on Friday whenever he shot uh, – what he shoot? The 64 that he did – or 65, one of the best rounds that we've seen in really in, in major championships in quite a while. He beat the scoring average by almost eight shots that day it was truly truly impressive uh, yeah bogey free 65 
is what he shot. So it's uh, that was really where he won it. But in the third round, comes out and bogeys two of the first four holes, and then the day bogeys two of the first five holes, and is able to both days be able to rebound so extremely well from that. For example, yesterday he uh, bogeys one and four, and then plays the next uh, next nine holes at four under par from there, and then very similar to what he did today as well, bogeys two and five, which was a par five. And then he birdies six and seven right after that to completely get back on track. And then right as soon as he bogeys uh, 13, this is that short putt that we were talking about just a couple minutes ago, then he comes back and makes a 40-footer on the next hole and then makes another birdie on 15. So the the bounce-back stat is extremely, extremely important, and even more so for Brian Harmon this week. That's really where, besides the the second round where he got out to such a big lead, that's where he's going to win it. Whenever he made a mistake, he was able to rebound – and and do something good for him, and that's something that all not just junior golfers out there, but all golfers should learn from. If you make a mistake and you can immediately bounce back and get it back, it's extremely, extremely uh, of a mass importance for sure. T Dub, I'm not considering the green jacket a trophy. So if I don't consider the green jacket a trophy, I think the claret jug is the best trophy in all of golf, not just professional golf, but all of golf in general, and. There's nothing cooler to me than that having the RNA guy on 18 say, and the champion golf of the year, Brian Harmon, right? I, I think that's just awesome. Yes, it, it's just the tradition of it is what really does it. This was, what, the 151st British Open that's right. held? So that's, that's just unbelievable the amount of history that has been in this tournament, undoubtedly the oldest golf tournament in the world. So, yeah, it's it's great. And then champion golfer for the year, it's it's a great title. I even heard – Stuff like Cam Smith earlier this week, right? Said he almost broke down in the tears having to give back to Clara Judd because that's how much it meant to him. So it's going to be very similar to Brian Harmon in that aspect, especially considering Brian Harmon's been out there grinding on the PJ Tour for over a decade now. For So for him to finally get able to get this big win, along with him and our man Scott Tway, is just, it truly is a beautiful thing to witness. Uh, by the way, before we get out of here, some people might be wondering how Victor Hovland did today. Not good. Victor Hovland is three over on his round through 16 holes. He shot 40 on the front nine, had a bogey at one, bogey at five, bogey at six, and bogeys at seven. Now, he's righted the ship a little bit. He uh, got a birdie at 11 and a birdie at 15, playing the 17th hole right now. But Victor Hovland, two under for the golf tournament tied for 17th a little bit disappointing for him today right yeah it truly was and to put that in perspective with, with brian Harmon through five holes for the day hovland and, and Harmon were the exact same score then after that uh hovland goes double uh double bogey on the part three and then uh bogey's number seven so three over in that stretch where brian Harmon makes birdie birdie to, to make it back so that's that's gonna be the difference that you have sam in between winning a major championship or then having a round like Hovland did. But at the end of the day, this is not going to be the last time Hovland's in contention for major. Seemed like every single major this year, he was right there with a, ch- with a, a somewhat of a chance to get the job done. So, no, his, his time is definitely coming for sure. Definitely still needs to polish up some things uh, around the greens. He even mentioned in one of his interviews earlier, one of the reasons he likes links golf is because he's able to putt around the greens. He didn't say it's because he didn't want to chip, but he, you could highly emphasize that that's the reason. So maybe this is going to be a style of golf that really helps him going forward from that aspect of it as well. But he, he's such a good ball striker off the tee and his irons, and he's he's had been putting pretty well throughout the year. He could still be a little bit streaky here or there, but really it's just going to be a broken record with Hovland. If, if he's going to be chipping the ball and getting up and down from a lot of places, he could be a top five player in the world without question. 
No doubt about it. One more cool story here that I want to mention before we get out of here. Alex Fitzpatrick is going to beat his brother. Uh, he, Alex Fitzpatrick shot two over on his round today, but he finishes the golf tournament at two under par, tied for 17th right now. Matthew Fitzpatrick is down here at two over par. He finished tied for 41st in the golf tournament. So that's pretty cool, beating older bro. Oh, 100% is for sure. And, and Alex Fitzpatrick, he's got, a, he's got a bright future ahead of him as well, top 20 here in a major championship. And then one of the things that's craziest to me, they brought this up on the broadcast, Alex Fitzpatrick, Will Zalatoris, and Cameron Young were all on the same college team at Wake Forest just a couple of years ago. How in the world did that team ever lose a tournament? They didn't lose a whole lot of tournaments. I remember that Will Zalatoris and that Wake Forest team won the first ever college tournament I played in uh, when I was at Tulsa playing at Duke uh, in Duke's tournament. Wake Forest ended up winning that one. I remember that distinctly back in the day. T-Dub, how will you remember this open championship? Brian Harmon, I will remember it mainly for how happy I am for Scott Tway. Hopefully we get him on the podcast to uh, interview him about his thoughts on, you know, getting that first major. 100%. That's exactly what it's going to be. Like I mentioned earlier, I don't think this is the last time we're going to see Brian Horn. I think he's going to uh, win again, and we're going to obviously see him at the Ryder Cup as well. But but for us in particular, Sam, for our man Scott Tway, for him being one of the first guests we ever had on the podcast, such a likable guy, so well-known around this day. It's beautiful to see someone who we mentioned Brian Harmon putting in all the hard work. Scott Tway's put in an abundantly amount of hard work over his course of a career. So it's, it's a truly beautiful thing to see him get a major championship. No doubt about it. And right before we get out of here, I got to update the people. If they had a bet on Sepp Strucker or something like that, he did bogey 18. So now Tom Kim and Sepp Strucker and Jason Day are all three tied for second place at seven under par. Brian Harmon, <clears throat> Brian Harmon, excuse me, 13 under par through 16 holes of his final round. And he is going to be the champion golfer of the year. Preston, thank you for doing a great job in the booth. T-Dub, thank you as always. This has been Sam Humphreys on the 73rd Hole Radio Show live on Oklahoma's Leader in Golf, the Sports Animal.